It's the good life To be free and explore the unknown Like the heartaches When you learn you must face them Please remember I still want you And in case you wonder why Well, just wake up Kiss the good life Goodbye Well, that's a real pick-me-up. <laughs> Kiss the good life goodbye. Um, every generation seems to try to answer that question. Is there a good life? How do we get to the good life? And every genre seems to do the same. In fact, there's a, another song called Good Life. The first one was Tony Bennett, 1962. This next one is from 2007. Uh, a profound poet by the name of Kanye West and T-Pain. Here's their answer to the question, is there a good life? Listen to this. To keep it coming with the bottles, to see feel booze like she bombed out Apollo. The good life, it feel like Houston, it feel like Philly, it feel like D.C. Let me just stop it right there. Now, some of you are from Houston, and I don't know if you heard the lyrics, but he said the good life is Houston. And I don't know if you're from there, you might be able to verify if that's true or not, but for most people from there, they're not there anymore. They're from there. <laughs> and so I don't know if Kanye West and T-Pain had that right, but let's try this one. This is a more recent, 2010, a song, another song called Good Life, this time by One Republic. See if you know this one. you want to keep hearing it, but think about that for a minute. Every culture, every generation, every genre, every country song seems to long for the good life. There's something inside of us that longs for more than what we experience. And in this series, we're looking at what Jesus said. It's an audacious claim in the middle of a world filled with misinformation and disinformation and all sorts of information, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is an audacious claim that Jesus makes. And we looked in week one how Jesus saying, I am the way, he was saying, I am the way to know God personally, and I am the way to be fully human. Last week, we looked at his claim that he is the truth and we discovered that truth is not just a list of propositional statements, but truth is a person. Truth requires trust. And today we're looking at the life. And what if we were to really take Jesus seriously, even apprentice under his teachings, to live according to his ways? How different would we be? 
If we took seriously what it meant to follow Jesus, to become one of his disciples, one of his apprentices. But if you think about it, there's so many different explanations for what the good life is or how to get to the good life. It can be really overwhelming, even confusing. Author John Eldridge describes it this way. He says, most of us live in a fog. It's like life is a movie we were arrived to 20 minutes late. You know, something important seems to be going on, but we can't figure it out. Have you ever walked into a theater 20 minutes late, unaware of what's going on, but it must be important? You know, the best way to illustrate this, because I think this is accurate, life really is a lot like this. Wait, what? (laughs) Are those frogs? What is going on? There's something happening and it doesn't make sense. A lot of time, that's exactly how we experience life. Things are so great as a child until we realize actually they're not so great. Our parents are our heroes until we're old enough to know better. (laughs) That they're still trying to figure this whole thing out. See, Jesus describes life, that he is the life. And earlier in this book of John, the Gospel of John, the best friend of Jesus who walked with him for three years, there was another moment in his ministry when Jesus said something kind of describing what happened to this life, why it's so messed up. Listen to what he says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is saying, I've come to to make things right. You can have full life in me. But there is a thief. There is evil. There is darkness that's trying to rob you of this full life. See, he speaks to this intrinsic longing we have inside of us to find that something that's missing. Deep down, we, we feel like there's more And we're somehow missing out of what was intended. Have you ever felt that way? There is a passage from the beginning of the scripture that begins to describe what's happening. Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. This word life. Jesus says that same word, describing himself, I am life. And from the beginning, life breathed into humanity. It's this word, in Greek, it's the word zoe. It 
It means eternal life. It means everlasting life. It means immortal life. And yet, it's gone. Something happened. But in essence, what Jesus is saying is, I have come to give eternal life, everlasting life, immortality to humanity. This is a bold statement. And I'm sure it, this is just bringing up more questions. Okay, so what happened? Who took this life? How do I get it back? Jesus is describing there is a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So who is this thief? Well, we continue to look at this passage in Genesis to discover more about the origins of darkness and brokenness. See, there was a garden called Eden where everything was perfect. Adam and Eve lived in the essence of this life, immortality, Zoe. And in the midst of that, they were given the freedom to eat of any tree in the garden but one. See, God created humanity with freedom, and in that freedom, they could have eaten of any tree, but of course, they're human beings. And they were tempted, drawn to the very tree they were supposed to avoid. Listen to the rest of the story in Genesis 3 as we're introduced to the serpent. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The thief, whispering lies, saying that what God has for you is not good enough, that there's more. He's holding out on you. There's a better way. God's ways are not what's best. And I hate to spoil the story if you've never heard it, but Adam and Eve eat of the wrong tree. And as a result, they introduce death. Separation, that word death means separation. Separation from God, but also separation of the spirit from the body. Now, immortality was gone. And some of you are like, well, where did this serpent come from? Wouldn't it have been better if God would have just created without the serpent? And we don't have time to go into that now. So I put up on our Gateway South Facebook group page an article by our senior pastor, John Burke, on the cosmic history of the universe that might help. But some of you are, are thinking, well, forget where it came from. There's a snake that's talking. This is why I have trouble with the Bible. And I want to be honest and, and talk about that for a moment. Now, some of you uh, avoid the scriptures because of things just like this. Now, you should know that throughout the scriptures, there's, there's different uh, genres of writing. And there's certainly at the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis, it begins with poetry. But that doesn't make this any less true. I mean, I want us to think about this for a moment. Have you ever had an evil thought pop into your mind? I mean, a thought so diabolical, so wicked that it did not originate with you. It just came out of nowhere. It was just so dark, so evil that, that you couldn't explain it. What if you could see the origins of that thought? 
What if you could see the creature behind that thought? Maybe you would describe that as a snake, as a serpent. See, what was happening is evil began to tempt humanity. And even though this is mystical, it does not mean it is mythical. It's too real to be fiction. It answers so many questions about life. It answers so many questions about my life. So if you ask me, Eden did not just happen. It happens all the time. See, you and I every day have choices to make, and we can choose a path towards life. But often, even when we know better, even when we know it leads to death, we make wrong choices every single day. See, in the midst of this freedom, Jesus comes and offers us life, offers us the way, offers us truth. See, every human being at some point comes to feel like there's more than what I can see. It's like going to a movie 20 minutes late. Something important is missing. Some have called this missing piece a God-shaped hole in our heart. And you can see every human being trying to fill that hole. We, we try to replace that void, that, that something that is missing with significance, achievement, relationships. And you can see it in your own life. You can see it in the lives of others, this, this yearning for more, this desire for something more. And we keep thinking, if I just had this, if I just bought this, if I just accrued that, if I just accomplished this, if I just, if I just got married, or if I just got unmarried, if I, just, if I could just get that person to fix themselves, then everything would be okay. And some of you have maybe avoided the temptations of what we know lead to death. You're, you're the healthy sort. And there's a lot of those sorts here in Austin, right? You, you run a lot. You bike a lot. You, you're looking for that perfect body mass index and those perfect kale chips. I hate to tell you this, but there is no such thing as a perfect kale chip. And tragically, no matter how healthy you can get, you and I will still face disease. We will still one day face death. See, there's something broken. This is not how it was intended to be. And that's why God comes to rescue us, to set things right. Yet in the midst of this freedom, we have a choice. Everyone that came before Jesus looked towards a Messiah to come that would rescue them. And we look back at the Messiah who has come and is coming again to make things right. See, when you and I just try to fill that God-shaped vacuum in our heart, we end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. When instead, Jesus offers us life, can bring peace and forgiveness and make sense of the tragedy all around us. He is the way we can get what was lost back. He is life, the life. And what's remarkable about the story of Jesus is not only did he teach with great authority, not only did he heal people that were sick or even brought people back from the dead, ultimately he came with the intense, intentional purpose of dying on the cross for you and me, actually taking on himself the wickedness and the choices that we've made, even when we knew better 
and even those that we made that we didn't know better. But see, he's the life, and life cannot be kept in the tomb. And so on that third day, he rose from the dead. And it's not just an example for us to follow. He is the life. And he offers us life that if we were to die to ourselves and follow after him, we will experience life. Not just once and forever, but every day we have the opportunity to choose to die to self, to experience life. And I've seen it over and over in your lives. I've sat with you and heard stories of choosing life over death, choosing to forgive even though the other didn't deserve your forgiveness, choosing to ask for forgiveness even though it was hard to do so, responding to a prompting in your heart to reach out to show love to someone, willingly dying to something, fasting from something that has tripped you up and distracted you. I've heard the stories over and over and over. In my own life, I've experienced when I stay connected to God, I experience life. And when I wander, I experience the dark side. I experience death. See, every day we have the opportunity to choose. Are we going to trust God? See, sometimes trusting God, he takes us through what it feels like a death, but on the other side is life. Do you trust him? Are you willing to follow him no matter what path he might take you down? I shared this story before, but it's been a while and, and some of you may not have heard it, but, but it was a moment in my life that really helped me understand this power God has to bring life in the midst of death. My son, when he was born, we were so excited to have a little one. We went through Lamaze class, and then, of course, we get to the hospital, and everything we learned in Lamaze went out the window. And Caleb was born by emergency C-section. I knew something was wrong, not just the emergency C-section, but when I saw a doctor giving our little baby CPR. They assured us after they got him breathing that he should be fine. It's probably just fluid on his lungs, but we're going to need to send him to another hospital. So after Deborah got settled in her room, I got in my car and, and basically chased that ambulance to the other hospital to f- make sure our little one was okay. And when I got there, I discovered it was not just fluid on the lungs. In fact, they began to describe how he was going to require open-heart surgery. And if he did not have the surgery, he would not survive. And even if he has the surgery, it's still very precarious. I remember getting in the car at the second hospital and driving back to that first hospital, trying to think of the words to tell my wife that our little one may not survive. And on that drive, I, I just lost it. I just started praying, but it was an angry prayer. Shouting at God, God, why would you allow this to happen? What has he ever done to deserve this? just tears coming down my face, and I was just angry at God. And I got back, and I was able to somehow explain to Deborah that he may not make it, but they think the surgery could help him, and she was so calm in that moment. I realized later it may have been the medication, but it's still, (laughs) it's what I needed in that moment. A couple weeks later, it was time for the surgery. And 
this is the part of the story I don't usually ever share. But when we prayed for him before he went into that surgery, it was like laying him on the altar, as Abraham did with his son Isaac. And the part I don't usually talk about is, as we prayed, God, would you give him back to us? Would you let us raise him? I still felt peace, even if I never got to do that. I still felt his presence, even if God did not say yes to that prayer request. Now, I'm so grateful we got him back. And a few weeks later, I was talking to the doctor, concerned because he had open heart surgery and, and, and before the surgery, he was eating through a feeding tube. But now that he had the surgery, I thought he would be able to eat. And so I asked the doctor, I said, you know, why is Caleb still needing this feeding tube? And he said, well, if a child doesn't eat when it's instinctive, in the first few weeks of life, then they have to learn how to eat. But learn how to eat. How do you teach a baby, an infant, how to eat? And he looked at me, and I'll never forget his answer. He said, well, what you're going to need is an occupational therapist to understand sensory integration. Well, my wife had just graduated with a degree in occupational therapy with a focus in sensory integration. <laughs> now, not every time in my life have I discovered exactly why the bad thing I was going through was happening. Obviously, in this case, Caleb needed this mom to be his mommy. It took him three and a half years to get off the feeding tube. And now he's doing fine. He's 17 years old. He's almost as tall as me, which I know some of you are saying, that's not saying much. But <laughs> to us, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. But I wonder if you've come to the place where you've experienced that peace in spite of the circumstances. See, there have been many other times where I've prayed and I've begged of God and he did not say yes. And even still, he can be trusted. Have you entrusted your life to him, every part of your life to him? See, the scriptures tell us that, that every day we have these opportunities to either stay connected to him See, once we say yes to him, then the spirit of God comes to live within us. But if, but if we're not careful, we can be tempted back into what the scriptures call the flesh. See, staying connected leads to life, but the flesh leads to death. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. See, you and I are invited to become children of God, receiving forgiveness because of what Jesus did for you and me. That's the life that he has to offer. And that life can actually overcome the circumstances that this present suffering is nothing. Our faith can be bigger than the trials that we face. See, I want to invite you today to experience the life always intended. See, Jesus came to make things right. And in his love for us, he gives us the freedom to say yes or to say no. And for some of us here, you might be here and you today are going to say yes. You have said yes, I need that life. I'm tired of trying to cram things into that God-shaped hole in my heart. I need Jesus to forgive me and to heal my heart. If that's you today, then this is no better day than to start afresh. For others of you, it, it may be very well that you've made that decision, but you've wandered. You haven't been experiencing the life because you've wandered back into the flesh. Today can be that day to recommit, to resurrender what you may have taken back. There's this beautiful moment in the early church where Jesus has already come back and for 40 days walked with his disciples and then he left. And that was kind of a bummer. The disciples were like, you've defeated death. Now where are you going? And he said, it's actually better that I leave because when I leave, the spirit will come and live within all of those who trust me. In other words, we have the presence of God within us everywhere we go. He's no longer confined to one space on the planet, but his spirit lives within everyone who trusts him. And then immediately after he leaves, his love for all peoples, for the nations is evident. One particular example, Philip ends up going into Samaria, a place where good Israelites, religious Israelites did not go because they were not pure. They were a mixture of both Gentile and Jewish and they, they served other gods. And so he went to tell them that God's love extended even to them. Not just there, he, he actually encounters a, an Ethiopian treasurer, a eunuch. And it was there that he has this conversation with the first person to find life from Africa. Listen to this in Acts chapter eight. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, the Ethiopian treasurer said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the Ethiopian went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the Ethiopian official did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I wonder if you might have discovered when you came in that there's water in the lobby. And just as this Ethiopian treasurer, this man who had great influence and power said, stop, I don't want to go any further. There's water. What's to keep me from being baptized? 
maybe for some of you, that's your, your next step. Maybe you took communion last week for the first time in a sincere way, in a way of acknowledging you need Jesus' death on the cross to count for you. Or maybe today you've acknowledged, I need his life. I need his forgiveness. And we invite you here in a moment to, to be baptized. It's a powerful symbol of dying to your old life and being raised to walk a new life. If you've already been baptized, there's no reason to get baptized again unless it was a decision made for you. And some of you, your parents had you baptized as a hope that you would one day have faith and maybe you've wandered since then. Today would not be nullifying that, but actually fulfilling their hope that you would follow after Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and maybe there's someone that God will bring to mind that you want to begin praying that one day they too would find this life, that they too would one day be baptized. So what I want to do is during this next song, I, I want the lyrics of this song to really saturate your heart and mind, that you would be fully aware of God's extravagant love for you. And, and maybe for some of you, you'll just want to sing it out. But for others of you, I want to invite you to just walk towards that pool. And there's people there who would love to pray with you. If you want to be baptized today, we want to invite you to do that. So if you would, would you stand with me? And let's either reflect in this moment or sing out in this moment. Or if you're ready to be baptized, meet us at the pool in the lobby. Let's sing this together.